Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's 9.30 in 716. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazurowski. Outside right now, partly cloudy skies. Uh, 63 degrees this morning in Buffalo. People directly impacted by the top shooting can begin to apply for financial assistance. As of 4 p.m. on Tuesday, the application process got underway for those looking to receive support from the 514 Survivors Fund following the mass shooting at the Tops Friendly Market on Jefferson Avenue. For anyone directly impacted by the shooting back on May 14th, they are urged to go online and apply for qualification to receive funds. Help will be made available to anyone that needs assistance, and the deadline to apply for funds is Wednesday, September 14th. While the application process for survivors is underway, The steering committee has already been hard at work helping to support the families of the 10 people who lost their lives, as well as the three who were wounded in the racially motivated attack. I think the steering committee has been very helpful in just informing, you know, the families, especially um, that were affected, the 10 who lost a loved one, and then obviously those who were seriously injured, like Zaire. I think they've done a great job at communicating with us the whole process and things like that. That's Zanetta Everhart, the mother of Zaire Goodman, who was one of the three people wounded in the Tops mass shooting. While many people have expressed their gratitude for the efforts of the public and the steering committee to ensure the support of those directly impacted by the shooting, there have been some survivors who feel that they have been left out of the process and are frustrated with the lack of support. Everhart feels that anyone that was in the store at the time of the attack and that was directly impacted by the shooting deserves to be paid no matter what they're going through currently. Her message to those people who do feel left out and are frustrated is simply to continue continue to trust the process. We don't think about mental health in long term, right? Because someone who was affected by 514, even if they don't show signs of, you know, mental health issues in the months after, in a year after, they could suffer from PTSD because of that. Driving down Jefferson could trigger some sort of a feeling in them. So I'm glad that the steering committee is thinking far out. More from Everhart and the fairness of the 514 Survivors Fund process is available for you online. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. All right, Brayton, Thank you, and we'll hear more from Senator Everhart coming up a little bit later this morning. State Senator George Borello, among lawmakers from the Southern Tier, pushing a bill that could help security at the Chautauqua Institution. Borello hoping to give new life to a law that was passed by the legislature, but vetoed by then-Governor Cuomo back in 2014 that would give peace officer status to institution security, giving them the legal authority to make arrests. After the assassination attempt that injured author Salman Rushdie, Governor Hochul expressed interest in that bill should it come up again. The Chautauqua Institution reportedly has rejected recommendations for security measures like bag checks and metal detectors in wake of the attack. With tens of millions of dollars being spent to transform Buffalo's waterfront, why isn't any attention being paid to an eyesore at the entrance to Buffalo from Lake Erie? A yellow and black seawall that appears to be crumbling or peeling. It's near the juicery or the old hatch restaurant. Visitors by boat often get their first impression of the city from that wall. Governor Kathy Hochul told us she's very aware. I'm a boater. I'm out on this water all the time. 
and it is not a welcoming site when you first come into the Buffalo River area. I'm very aware of that. And I've spoken about this. This would be a project between the federal government and the state government. Congressman Brian Higgins tells us there is a plan eventually to transform it. The uh, Buffalo uh, Niagara Waterkeeper is doing a, uh, a stability study now. We're going to wait till that's completed and use it as a basis from which uh, to go after Army Corps of Engineer funding to not only rehabilitate it structurally, but enhance it aesthetically as well. And, and you're right, you, you, know, you want to create a, a better image when you come in uh, to Buffalo, but this is all what's been left over of the old industrial working waterfront. Just this week, Governor Hochul announced a $300 million investment in the Buffalo waterfront. We'll be talking about this later on this morning. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown joining us in the 8 o'clock hour. Mixed reaction to President Biden signing the Inflation Reduction Act into law yesterday. Relief from high prices can't come soon enough for most people. Alexis Christophorus, though, on when we'll start feeling the effects. If you thought this was going to mean a, a lower grocery bill or lower prices at the gas pump, I think the best Americans can hope for is relief, perhaps months, but really more like years down the road. It will allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices for the first time ever. So Medicare recipients are going to see prices on a number of drugs be reduced, but that won't really kick in until at least 2025. It's important to read the fine print on all of that. It sounds great, but the fact is a lot of the EV cars on the market right now are ineligible for these tax rebates. And that's because in the fine print, they talk about the car cannot have any parts made in China, for instance. All right. So a lot of good ideas uh, in terms of immediate action. Don't expect too much. Nearly $4 billion in student loans wiped clean for those who attended a college found to have lied about its accreditation and ability for students to get jobs. WBEN's Max Ferry looks at if this is a sign of things to come. The Biden administration announced Tuesday that they are eliminating federal loan debt for students who attended ITT Technical Institute after authorities found widespread and pervasive misrepresentations, canceling $3.9 billion in debt for over 200,000 students. We talked to Jeff Boron, founder of Send Your Kids to College, on the latest he's heard on what we can expect on student loan debt forgiveness countrywide. At the end of the month, the uh, deferment, uh, which has been in place since March of 2020, ends. Biden is expected to extend that to the end of the year. That's the rumor. And the rumor is he would like to forgive $10,000 per hour of federal loan debt for those that have under $150,000 of income. Whether or not we are going to hear anything at the end of August on canceling student loan debt is unknown at this time. But until then, Boron advises to continue to pay your loans over $10,000. Pay towards the student loans because they haven't been accruing interest. So you're effectively paying that loan principal down much quicker. Max Ferry, WBEN.com News. A major automotive recall. General Motors is recalling nearly a half a million larger size SUVs. The carmaker says rivets in the third row seat belts may be improperly mounted and may not restrain occupants in the event of a crash. Included are certain Cadillac Escalades and Escalade ESVs, Chevy Suburbans and Tahos, and GMC Yukons and Yukon XL vehicles with third row seats. Owners are being told to take the vehicles to a dealer to be repaired. Daria Albinger, ABC News. All right. And a team at the Little League World Series, which gets underway in Pennsylvania today, rocked by a serious incident 
involving one of their teammates. Easton Oliverson, the Snow Canyon, Utah Little League team starting left fielder, fell six feet off a bunk bed Sunday night while staying with the team in Williamsport, Pennsylvania for the Little League World Series. Easton was rushed to a hospital with a skull fracture. Head coach Mark Entz says Easton and his dad, who's also an assistant coach of the team, want the young ball players to carry on and go all the way. He made it a point to say, you know, we want you guys to focus on the baseball part. The Snow Canyon Little Leaguers are the first Utah team to make it to the Little League World Series. Wow, that's horrible to hear. Falling off a bunk bed? It's absolutely, I mean, one of the fears I've had for forever. I mean, if you've ever slept on the top of a bunk bed before, especially for the first time, yeah, don't you always kind of have that in the Fear. back of your head? Right. Like, I don't know, roller, because the bunk bed's always smaller. Uh, usually yeah. I know there's like they do make like queen bunk beds but for the most part it's smaller and right. if you roll around a lot you gotta oh be my thinking God. I hope there's a uh, some sort of rail there but uh, terrible to hear that on the Little League World Series. Your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast calls for partly to mostly cloudy skies with some rain showers off and on throughout the day. Temperatures in the mid to upper 70s. For tonight, mostly cloudy. Overnight lows in the low 60s. On Thursday, partly to mostly cloudy skies. Just a slight chance for a shower tomorrow with highs near 80. Mostly sunny mid 80s on Friday. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. As millions of dollars are being pumped into to the Buffalo waterfront for transformation, it's still not suitable for swimming. Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper manages the quality of the region's waterways. Jill Jedlica joining us this morning on WBEN. Jill, what is the state of the Buffalo waterfront? Well, I guess it depends on the day, and it also depends on where you're looking. Um, but in general, uh, the Buffalo waterfront and the waters of the surrounding area we're improving, um, and we are making progress collectively with cleaning up historical legacy contamination from hazardous waste. Where uh, you know the sewer authority is doing a great job in um, improving our sewer overflows, um, but we still have some residual issues that we're dealing with collectively. You know these issues. Uh, when do they come up, and what exactly are they? We hear every now and then, you know, uh, at some of the beaches along Lake Erie. Uh, all right, uh, you can't swim today, you can't swim uh, this day. And, you know, I always think when those pop up, like, well, if I can't swim today, you know, right. why would I swim a week from now? Um, what exactly is going on there? I think there's nothing more anger-inducing than knowing that you've planned a day to go out to the beach or out in the water, and then all of a sudden you hear about a potential warning um, of bacterial contamination. And that's usually associated with what we call a wet weather event or a rainfall, um, because historically Buffalo, like many other cities across the country, have sewer and stormwater systems that are tied directly to our waterways. So if it's rained within 12 to 24 hours, it takes that amount of time for the water to flush off into the collection of our waterways. And then you start to see um, blooming of bacteria colonies from some of the sewage and the other runoff that's coming from our region. Um, Buffalo is not alone with this. We, we see it all over the country. You even have the same issue in some coastal states in the Gulf Coast of Florida. Um, so it's just how we've designed our infrastructure, which is why improving that infrastructure is so critical. Are bacterial tests taken every day after, you know, on, on waterways or only after rain mm. events? Well, uh, there, it depends on where you are. So um, state lands that are managed by parks or um, other public or dedicated public access sites are usually monitored 
uh, by an agency or by a health agency, um, just by, by regulation, by requirement. Many of our other local waterways are not monitored on a daily basis, but that is something that Waterkeeper has been doing for about two decades now, where we uh, mobilize volunteers and hundreds of people that help us go out and grab samples and monitor waterways where there might be other primary contacts for kids swimming in local creeks or people um, fishing along the shoreline. Um, so we we and we document all that data and it's available on our, our annual water quality report for the region. You, you know, all this talk about water quality and some of the issues that you're bringing up here. I mean, do you swim in the water? Do you feel comfortable uh, going into the waters of Lake Erie? Uh, and if so, where? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I have um, when I was younger and I used to in my beach days, I would I would certainly go down to Angola and, and some other areas that the dedicated beaches down there. Um, I would feel comfortable taking my kids and going to Woodlawn Beach because it is monitored. Um, but also knowing that I wouldn't go into the water within 24 hours after a rainfall. Um, we as a family, we still walk our creeks and streams. Um, and, you know, it, it's good to, to kind of be cautious and, and be careful to not ingest water if the situation is um, undefined or if you're not familiar with the area. And it's not all doom and gloom. We don't want people to be concerned um, constantly and say, oh, we live in this horrible, um, you know, horrible polluted region. It's improving. There are some days where the water is, is not ideal for primary contact, but um, it's certainly uh, it's getting much better. And you can do paddling and boating and fishing. And um, as long as you wash your hands and you're careful, there, there's no reason why we can't enjoy our local waters. Um, I'm a boater, and I have to say that it seems like a lot of people don't really know whether it's safe to swim in some areas or not. And I've got to tell you, on a hot day, you'll always see people swimming off their boats around Canal Side. That's right. got to be yeah. one of maybe <laughs> the highest concentrations of poor water quality, right? I would I would recommend not swimming and not getting out of your boat um, in and around Canal Side for multiple reasons. Not just from bacterial contamination, which is, you know, it, it happens, you know, after those heavy rain events. Um, but just the, the boating traffic and the, the waters themselves are not appropriate for having uh, humans and having people swimming in there, not just from bacteria, but, you know, we've got, you know, a poor visibility in that water because it is so turbid or it's cloudy. Um, there's historical debris, and then there's, there's the potential conflict of power boats with people in the water. That's just not a good mix. You know, when you talk about some of the problems and the reason for it, it seems like really complicated to be able to fix and turn that around when you're talking about uh, the system being designed to empty into parts of the lake. What is the work that you've done um, over the past 10 years? What has that done to help alleviate the problem? And what more needs to be done that can realistically be done in the near-term future? Well, it, it, you, you said it. it's a very simple, straightforward problem, but with a complex solution, um, because it's not easy to, to dig up pipes that are underground of a network of a city. Um, it was built up over 100 years or more, um, and so it's going to take a little while for us to mitigate how these systems were designed to overflow. Um, Waterkeeper itself, as a, as a nonprofit organization, we're not the ones out there doing the hard work of of, of moving the dirt and digging and laying new pipes and, and so forth. But what we have been able to do is work in partnership with local government and municipalities to advocate for the millions and billions of dollars that's needed for our water infrastructure in Albany, in D.C., and then advocate to bring those dollars to Western New York. Because if you don't have a voice for your region, those dollars will go elsewhere. Um, and that's where it's a great story here in Buffalo about the public and nonprofit partnerships. You know, when do you see this being remedied? Is it 
five-year problem, 10 years or longer? Well, we're, we're looking at, you know, right now, for in particular for the city of Buffalo, the Buffalo Sewer Authority has what's known as a, they've negotiated a long-term control plan um, with the uh, Attorney General's office and EPA. And they were on about roughly a 10-year time frame. Um, and they are making progress. We are actually seeing the water quality data in the Buffalo River the last few years has actually been improving uh, because of some of the fixes they've already put into place. But it's slow going, um, but at least we know that some of these projects are, are, are starting to have an effect. Well, um, the hope is that you can jump off the boat into, uh, <laughs> you know, almost anywhere in the lake, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the lake itself is a little different because the hydrology there um, helps kind of move things along so you don't have stagnant water. So anywhere, just in general, if you're a boater or a paddler, um, if you're in a waterway, a local waterway, that doesn't have a lot of um, movement in, in the water that they could be more likely to have higher, higher levels of bacteria. Um, and there's also, you know, if you see a pipe discharging into the local waterway, it could be a stormwater pipe, but if there's a green sign next to it, that's a sewer overflow pipe. So you just have to be cautious and be aware. All right. Good to know. Jill, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Sure. Jill Jedlicka with Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper. That's 930 in 716. We're back tomorrow with another edition from the studios of WBEN Buffalo. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.